the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, we see the importance of remembering the Lord's Supper in the early church gatherings. We also see how dangerous it can be to fall asleep in church. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 5. Once again, that's Acts chapter 20, verse 5. It mentions there, we read in the text, when Paul talked about the gathering, he says, those that God has prospered, set it aside as he's led them, right? There's no pressure there, Right? There's no sense of, well, you know, if you haven't given, you know, write your check or this. There's this sense of, you know, as the Lord has put it on your heart and, and as, as God has done that, you be faithful and you be obedient, you be generous for him, right? Giving's a blessing. And unfortunately, there are times when the church has made it not a blessing, but they've made it a burden. The Bible says God loves a hilarious, a cheerful giver, someone who just does it with a joy in their heart because they want to give. You know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I always want our giving here at our church to be about that. I want it to be about, the, uh, yes, it's about obedience. Yes, it's about stewardship. God commands us to, to give. We, I understand all that, and, and that's been ingrained into me. I get it all there. I understand it, and the idea is you need to be faithful with that. But God's desire is it's part of our worship, right? It's not just something we do. Hand over the check. Here's the paycheck. Hand over the check to the church. Got to keep the pastor fed. (laughs) The idea is, Lord, you've blessed me with everything that I have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. And Lord, here's a portion back to you to confess and say that I believe that with all my heart. It's all yours. It's all yours. And I want to yield my finances to you. Lord, is there anyone here that I can help out? Is there anyone here that I can bless? Is there anyone here I can serve? Is there any ministry I can serve? You know what blew me away? We raised over $600 on Sunday night for those Bibles. And that's because the Lord touched people's hearts and they gave generously. That's awesome. That is awesome. We are going to impact and directly change lives because God put it on the hearts of people to be generous and they were obedient. And they did it. And probably that gives you joy now. If you were a part of that, or if you've been praying for that, that gives you joy to hear that because you think, wow, I'm a part of something that the Lord's doing and, 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 and that's gonna be there. You know, the Bible talks about even you know, a glass of, of water that's given to a prophet, that there's a reward in that. 
It's, it's not about how much. It's not about, you know, you know, being grounded into submission. It's about generosity. It's about love. It's about just saying, Lord, all I have is yours. What do you want me to do with it? I'll be faithful and obedient to you. Well, verse six, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them in Troas in five days. So that's how long it took them to sail. And we stayed there where we abode, it says, for seven days. So they stayed here in Troas for seven days. And verse seven, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. And so here was interesting, again, it just seems like a travelogue, but we actually get a glimpse into what an early Christian service looked like. Now, the first thing it mentions here, it says that they met upon the first day of the week. Now, the service was held not in Sunday morning, but in Sunday evening, because Sunday was a work day in that culture, in that time period. Now, this is the first mention in the book of Acts that the church gathered together on Sundays. Now, I want to make it clear here. There is no right or wrong day to gather as Christians. Sunday has been the traditional day that we have gathered here, but there are some churches that can't meet on a Sunday. There's some churches that meet on a Sunday afternoon because they can't get a building on Sunday morning. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember when one of the local churches started a church service on, be careful here, Monday night. Yeah, that's what everybody in the church I was at thought. Listen, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, okay? It's not the Christian Sabbath, all right? Every day is a Sabbath for us since we rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. Every day. Now, God made the Sabbath for man, so it's a good idea to take one day, put the hammock up, and chill out, okay? That's a good principle. Our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest. A day where you don't think about work, a day where you hang out with family, a day where you just chill, okay? We need that, all right? But as far as the fulfillment of the commandment to keep the Sabbath, we keep it every single day as we rest in Christ's finished work on the cross for us. So, but this is when the early church met. And it mentions they came together to break bread. Now, what they would do in the early church is they would celebrate something known as the agape feast or the love feast. It was a big, huge church-wide potluck is all it was. Everybody bring food and they'd all, you know, eat and fellowship. So it's biblical. So it is, it is. Christians eat and hang out. That's, that's biblical. So, you know, and, and the reason for that is, and you've probably, you've been well taught, you know, Pastor Gibb, I'm sure for many years explained to you the significance of eating in the Middle Eastern culture, the idea that I'm eating the same big loaf of bread and I rip a piece off and I give it to you and then I eat some. And the idea that's being conveyed is we're becoming one because the same food that's nourishing you is nourishing me. And there's an intimacy there. And so the idea of eating and fellowship, they do go hand in hand because of how the Middle Eastern mindset is concerning eating. You know, it's very serious. So they would gather every Sunday evening and they would have this church-wide potluck and then they would close it up by celebrating the Lord's Supper. In fact, most believe, most commentators believe that early Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper after every evening meal. They would just do it in their families. At some point in time in the church, the Lord's Supper became this sacerdotal thing, you know, where it could only be administered by a priest or a pastor. But some of the most intimate times in my marriage have been when me and Bev have sat down, and I, I play guitar, and I'd get my guitar out, and we'd sing a few worship songs, and I'd have a, a piece of bread, and have a little cup of juice, and, and we would remember what the Lord did for us on the cross. It's awesome, you know? There's, you don't need to be in an environment, you know, where there's some officiant who's there who's qualified to do it. 
Acts 2.42 says that the breaking of bread was a regular celebration in the church and that it contributed to their growth as believers. Which got me thinking, why is that? Why is celebrating the Lord's Supper? We do it once a month here. Why is it that it's an essential part of our growth as believers? Well, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Now, the first thing I want to mention about the Lord's Supper is there's nothing mystical that happens when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We are not ingesting the power of Christ. You know, you're not eating the bread and drinking the cup and all of a sudden becoming super Christian. The pagans have that idea of food. You know, that, that remember when Daniel wouldn't eat the food that, that the, the king had, had prepared for, for him and his friends, you know, that were in training? Why is that? Well, it was food that was offered to their pagan idols. And the food was considered to be infused with the power of these pagan deities. And so you would have extra super smarts and extra super intelligence, which, by the way, be very, 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 very careful. I see Christians get into these dieting things where they get all overboard, and that's their entire life. Listen, that's nothing but food offered to idols again. It's this idea that all of a sudden I can be in this perfect physique and shape where nothing wrong will ever happen to me health-wise because I'm eating perfectly. I have seen some of the people who, who eat that way and then tragedy comes to their life. There's no promise and there's no guarantee. Now, don't take what Pastor Will just said as an excuse to go be a pig, you know, and, and to, to be a glutton. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying everything in its proper place, right? Everything in order, Right? You know, everything in order. Because all, if we're not careful, that can become our new deity. And that's not what God wants for us. It's the same thing with exercise. What did Paul tell Timothy? Hey, exercise profits a little. It's not this no good. It's just not the most good. The best good is your relationship with Christ. And then exercise a little. Or a lot. But not at the expense of your walk with God. So, you know, the reason I bring this up is because you go to Christian bookstores today and you know, half the shelves are filled with what? Yeah, it's all, I'm like, I saw a sign the other day. And, and if you know this person or you are this person, my, my deepest apologies, I'm not trying to offend you. But they're holding up a sign in a road and it said, you know, uh, Jesus is coming back. The world is, or I mean, the, uh, the debt for the United States is at, you know, four trillion or whatever number it is now. You know, and I thought, well, I praise the Lord. They're bold and they're out there telling people about they need to repent and get right with Jesus. But what does the United States debt have to do with the gospel? I'm thinking you are turning people away for absolutely no reason. You're not offending them with the gospel. You're offending them with your conservative values. And Jesus, I, I, you know, every time Jesus tried, they tried to wrangle him into a political conversation. What did he do? He sidestepped it Perfectly. What about taxes? Or maybe, you know, whose picture's on here? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. <laughs> you know, he decides that he, every time they try to wrangle him into this thing that everybody would get mad about and would polarize and you all of a sudden would be declared on a side. And Jesus brought it right back to God, brought it right back to what really mattered, didn't he? You know, I just wonder sometimes how distracted we are and what we lose because of it. I wonder what I've lost because of it. Opportunities to relate to people, to converse with people. So we aren't ingesting the power of Christ like the pagans thought towards the food they offered to idols. Uh, Jesus taught us to do this in remembrance of him. So let's turn to Luke 22. 
Luke 22. Verse 19. It says, And he took bread, and he gave thanks, broke it, gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now when Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians, he adds to that the cup. He says, do this in remembrance of me as well. The phrase remembrance, it means to call me affectionately to your memory. I love that. To call me affectionately to your memory. You ever had a song come on that maybe reminds you of your husband or your wife or your kids and all of a sudden you call some affectionate memories to your mind? That's what's kind of being thought of here. Now, why is that? Why does he say, do this to call me affectionately back to your memory? Well, it's because we have a tendency to forget. <laughs> See, God commanded Israel, remember, to put his word everywhere, to put it on their wrists, on their foreheads. They'd have it strapped around their foreheads with a little box and they could pull out the box and read it and you know, pull open the box and read the scripture and then put it back in and strap it back around their head. And they would have it. He said, put it in your house. And, and when you rise up and when you sit down, wherever you go, you can talk about this to your children and to your, to your family and your friends. And the reason was is so they wouldn't forget in Deuteronomy chapter six, God explained it to them. And he said this, he said, and it shall be when the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land, which he swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities, which you did not build, and houses full of good things, which you did not fill, and wells digged, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you shall have eaten and be full, then beware lest you forget the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. For you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and you shall swear by his name and you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. There are so many lures out there for our time and attention, aren't there? So many. So when we hold the bread, when we hold the cup, we're reminding ourselves just how far Jesus went to make it possible for us to have this relationship with him. That at that table with the disciples there, he pledged his life to all of us. And since the chief motivator of obedience is Jesus's love for us, this spurs us to give our whole heart to him and to do what he says in his word. In reminding ourselves of what Jesus did, we too then pledge our lives back to him in love and affection as well. So that's the first reminder. The second thing it reminds us of when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is that of the brutality that he bore for us. The bread symbolizes his battered, broken, and pierced body. The blood symbolizes the blood pouring from his body from the night of prayer before, the work of the Roman whip and the crown of thorns on his brow. So not only does it serve to remind us, we don't only celebrate because it serves to remind us of his love, but it also serves to jolt us, to remind us in that sense, to jolt us out of our lethargy, our apathy, and it reminds us of who we are and what we were bought with. You know, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, when Paul is covering this topic to the church at Corinth, he says, but let a man examine himself, and then so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. It's a time of examination where God is able to search our heart and to show us where we aren't walking worthy of our calling in this new covenant that Christ has given us. So it reminds us of his love. It reminds us of what it cost. It jolts us again. It, it causes us to examine ourselves again. But the third thing that it reminds us of is his return. 
Luke 22, verses 17 and 18. After he said, after he, it says, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Do you know that every gospel account of the Lord's Supper includes these words of Jesus that he said that? I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my kingdom. He was battered and bled for our sin. But you know what? He didn't stay on that cross and he didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again, right? He rose again. And not to ply his trade at the harp on a cloud, you know? He rose again to return in glory, might, power, strength, and victory. And guess what? We're gonna be with him. It says, behold, he comes with the clouds. I guarantee you, my little girl this morning, she was carrying a bunch of balloons around. She says, Daddy, look, I'm, I control the clouds, you know? And I, it was adorable. She's got these balloons. I can make them go up and I can make them go down. Jesus is gonna have little clouds following around. That's us. Clothed in the white linen of the righteousness of the saints, and it looks like clouds. He comes with the clouds. We're gonna come with him. Return with him. Return to Revelation 19 with me. For it says, before we return with him, something happens. Revelation 19, verse seven. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, write, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Before we return with them, we're gonna celebrate the marriage supper of the lamb. And there, just like at the last supper, he's gonna hoist that cup for the first time since he did on that night. He's gonna hoist that cup and we'll raise it together with him. I was at a wedding this week and you know, it's a toast came and the cups were raised and the clanking of the glasses and whatnot. And that day, can you imagine what it's gonna be like when he raises the cup? Oh man, you know? We're gonna celebrate then. And so we celebrate now to remember that glorious promise and our hearts might cry, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, we move back to Acts. And so here in the midst of this service, as they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, as they're remembering his love, as they're examining themselves and they're remembering his promise to return, it continues and it says that Paul ready to depart on the next day because of that, continued his teaching, his speech until midnight. So that's the reason he stayed so late. He was with them for a very limited amount of time. Now, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he explains that God opened this massive door at Troas a year ago. Tons of people got saved. They're hungry for the Lord, but he didn't stay very long because he was concerned about Titus, who he was expecting to meet there, and he hadn't gotten any word. So he left. So now all of a sudden he's back and they're hanging on every word. Well, that is everybody except one guy. For it says in verse eight, and there were many lights in the upper chamber. There are these oil lamps and some have suggested that the fumes from these lamps would have made it difficult to stay awake, kind of make it a hazy environment, a sleepy kind of environment. So uh, there were many lights in the chamber, in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. 
And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, and the language Luke uses indicates that Paul's sermon went longer than it probably should have. And Paul just kind of got going, and, he, and, you know, and, and Paul was a long preaching. He should have quit about two hours ago. As he was a long preaching, he kept going, though. As this was going on, it says this young man sunk down with sleep. And the language is so, it's like a doctor talking about what happens when someone falls asleep. Luke being a doctor, it's very interesting. Uh, But, you know, at first he kind of becomes more and more sleepy. And then finally, he's out. He's out. He's sunk down in sleep. But then the idea of sinking down with sleep is now that he's zonked out, he's got no more awareness to keep his body propped up. And so this guy falls down from the third floor. And he was taken up dead, carried inside, dead. Now, by all indications, they figured the fall killed him. And Luke, being a doctor, uses a word that gives us the impression that he was actually dead. Verse 10. So Paul went down. That got him to quit preaching. And he fell on him. He, he, and the word there means he, he fully embraced him. It was like a full body embrace. He just wrapped his arms around him. And he said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. Well, this would have been a horrible tragedy in the midst of a special event for this church. Instead of a raise the dead ministry, Paul had a kill the young people ministry, you know? <laughs> and you know, they thought, yeah, but Paul's coming. Remember that guy, Paul, who came here and we all got saved? You know, yeah, that's great. Get him out of here. And he's killing people, you know? This guy preaches forever, you know? So, you know, he comes down and, and, and in the midst of this, you know, tragedy, the Lord does a miracle and brings him back to life. And so he says, don't trouble yourself. In other words, don't start the commotion. You know, the morning rites in the East were uh, very famous for for being extremely emotional. They would begin the moment of death. In fact, many would hire professional mourners to weep and wail to add to their mourning to show how deeply the deceased was loved. And so Paul says, no, stop. Stop that process. He's not dead. He's still alive or uh, their life is in him. Verse 11, when he therefore was come up again and no preacher ever leaves a sermon unfinished. He goes back up when he, he, that's Paul. That's not the guy who's alive. You know, when he, Paul, therefore was come up again and had broken bread, he figures, well, we'll take a break from my sermon. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. And eaten, then he talked a long while, even till the break of day. (laughs) But you know what? I don't think anybody had a problem staying up late to listen to Paul preach after he raised somebody from the dead. After they celebrated the Lord's Supper and had their feast, he preached through the night all the way to dawn. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. What started off as a tragedy became a great source of God's comfort. Jesus spoke similar words to his disciples before he went to the cross in John chapter 16. And I'd like to close with this, if you just turn there with me, John 16. John 16, verses 20 through 24 the eve of his arrest, he would be crucified the very next day. Verse 20, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail or she's about to give birth, has sorrow because her hours come. The birth pains are coming, you know. But as soon as she is delivered of that child, she doesn't remember anymore the anguish because of the joy that a man child is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, 
but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. As you remember, as we remember together, your heart might break anew as you reflect on Jesus' love for you. You might experience conviction for things in your life that aren't worthy of him, that as the Lord examines your heart and shows some things that may not belong there. But in all of that, I want to remind you, don't forget that when we come to the end, to rejoice. (laughs) Don't forget to rejoice because he's alive and he's coming back, amen? He can accept your surrendered heart once again. He can forgive us as we turn from those unworthy things to follow him again and he's returning to take us home to celebrate together. Let's all pray. Lord, we thank you that you are coming back for us and now we wanna take this time, Lord, to not just remember that, but to remember your great love for us, to remember what you did for us on the cross and to reflect, to ask you, Lord, Lord, search our hearts, know our thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in your everlasting way. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to reflect and remember and examine and then celebrate, Lord, together. So would you bless this time now and speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.